0: stories of innovation and success from the vibrant communities of rural Nova Scotia. This is Ignited.
1: Hey there. Welcome back to Ignited the podcast. I'm Wade Cleveland. I work for a rural innovation hub called Ignite, and I'm here to tell you some great small town and rural success stories. So, what is Ignite? And What's a Rural Innovation Hub? Well, IGNITE's goals and strategies come from our four pillars, youth, entrepreneurs, industry, and community. We work to inspire and guide youth through events and summer camps, You'll find us putting entrepreneurs and industry together to create high-impact innovation, as we did recently with the Plastic Waste Challenge, where we issued a challenge to innovators to come up with ideas to replace non-recyclable plastics with something compostable. And you'll find us guiding and mentoring rural startups and innovators in both of our Ignite locations in Yarmouth and in New Glasgow. Companies become residents here. They get access to desk space and everything our facility has to offer from high-end equipment to mentoring so our guest today is one of those ignite resident entrepreneurs and someone who spends her time providing others with her own mentorship and guidance michelle hurlbert is the ceo of 3d life inc michelle has spent more than 25 years in business and education And now, as a certified master coach practitioner, helps guide other leaders to become not just better leaders, but better and more rounded, fulfilled people. Thus the name of the company, 3D Life. You could say it's Michelle's passion. Michelle, thank you so much for talking to us today.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's a it's a pleasure.
1: Well, I've been looking forward to this a lot because I've been listening to some of the podcasts that you have done with others, and they're really, really engaging. So I, I actually feel a little pressure today.
0: Oh, thank you. Well, please relax. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's
1: start with your story because I find your story really inspiring. So let's start with you getting your degree in education. Education, and then leaving and going overseas. Tell us a little bit about that. What was what was the mindset? To me, that's an adventure, but it, it's braver than I would have been.
0: Well, I know that at the time, in my fourth year of of university, doing my Bachelor of Education degree, I I had a group of friends, and we were talking about you know we're getting to the end. You know, four years goes faster than you think, and we're getting towards the end and what are we going, like, what are you doing? What are you going to be doing? And I had actually already kind of planned what my life, quote unquote, was going to look like uh, with graduating, moving home, buying a house, getting married. I kind of already had that in my mind. Mm -hmm. And the closer I got to graduation, the more I started thinking and within the conversations we were having, wait a minute, what What am I doing that for? Don't I want to experience some of the world first? Or what are the opportunities that I have available to me now that I might not have available to me later? And so I got an interview with, um, a South Korean man who was living in Halifax at the time, myself and two other uh, friends of mine, classmates of mine. And he was opening a new English Academy in South Korea. And wanted to recruit teachers from Nova Scotia to go and help him start that up. So I did. I applied, I got the interview, and myself and two other of my classmates got the job and in July of nineteen ninety-six <laughs> I'm dating myself here. I'm I really don't mind I, I'm I'm forty eight. It's fine. It's <laughs> I I don't have any qualms. You have to feel your age, right? And I don't think I feel 48, whatever that's supposed to feel like. But we, we took the leap. We decided that it was something, I decided for myself that it was something that I needed to do, even if it was just for a year. And you can do anything for a year and decide to move home or keep going.
1: Mm-hmm
0: which is what I did. I kept going instead of coming home.
1: What was that like, the big jump from, from Canada to all of a sudden you're in South Korea and you're teaching English, yes. but that cannot be an easy thing to do. Um, it must have been, if, if nothing else, you there must have been a lot of culture shock.
0: There was to an extent. Uh, one of the qualities that I've come to discover in myself over my many adventures is that I'm, I'm pretty adaptable um, and I also have a high level of respect for where I am and who's around me. Um, I knew that being a Canadian in uh, South Korea, I, I for myself personally and my own values, I wanted to be as respectful as I could be while I was there. So I learned some of the language. I loved the food. I would go back in a heartbeat to eat in Korea again. Um, but. Uh, I just, I felt while there, while there was some culture shock, it was more a recognition of I'm in their country. And so I, I my respect for them and their, the ways, the, their cultural ways and was really very high. And I was very aware of um, and wanted to learn more and wanted to just, again, be respectful of where I was at and not assume that. I'm a Canadian and everybody loves Canadians, right? So I can do what I want and be... I was much more aware of the culture.
1: How long were you in South Korea?
0: I was in South Korea for a year. And then I had an opportunity to apply to a Montessori school in the Philippines. Right. And so I applied. Actually, I traveled to the Philippines uh, on vacation from South Korea, from my job there. And went to the went to the island where the Montessori school was on vacation visited the school just to say hi um my my friend my workmate and my my friend who was in Korea one of them who was in Korea with me had been to the island the week before and she had applied for the position because there was only one position at this Montessori school so i just i went to the school just to say hi i'm a friend of of this friend. And uh, she applied last week. So I just wanted to say, hey, and I'll drop my resume off. But I didn't really think that anything was going to come of it. And the owner of the Montessori school and the principal were both there when I visited. And they said, well, can you do an interview? And I said, well, sure. Yeah. When? And they said, well, right now. I mean, I'm in flip-flops and uh, a sarong and, and, you know, my bathing suit. And, and I just thought, okay, sure, if you want to interview me, I'll sure, I can do it. So we had a very impromptu interview, and they said... And throughout the interview, I, I kept saying, look, my friend was here last week. I really... Like, she's creative, and she really wants to be here. I You know, I really encourage you to consider her for the position. I'm not too sure that... I want to be here for a year. Um, I, I haven't really decided that yet. They asked me to come back in a couple of days, so I did. And they said, well, would you both come? We'll create two positions if you'll both come. And so that was an opportunity I just couldn't pass up. So I did. <laughs> I Or I didn't, my, whichever way you look at it. I didn't pass it up, and I went. I My friend and I both went. To the Philippines on Boracay Island, and worked in a Montessori school.
1: And again, what what an amazing adventure that had to be!
0: Yeah, it was Boracay. I consider kind of my second home. Tell
1: us about it a little bit.
0: Well, it is a about a seven kilometer long island in the Philippines, about an hour's flight south of Manila, with a four kilometer long white sand beach. It's gorgeous. It, it was gorgeous. I mean, we were there in, this was 1997, so we were there for um, kind of before everything started to get really super developed. It has changed since I've lived there, but um, there's been a lot of things, a lot of development, a lot of big businesses moving in. But when I was there, it was pretty, it was pretty untouched um, compared to what it is now. The People are laid back, they're happy, they, they just, it was such an easy place to live and the food was great and fresh and the Montessori school was was a great place to, to work as well um, with a, a different philosophy on education than what we had been trained in. What do you mean? Well, within the, with what we learned in our education program um, at the Nova Scotia Teachers College was very whole language, very, um, very teacher directed. Teacher's the focus. Teacher is the one who makes all of the activities and, uh, and kind of leads the lessons, um, where the students are a bit more, what's the word I'm looking for? A bit more just kind of there. Passive. <laughs> Passive. Great word. Thank you. Mm and so with the montessori school what was what i loved about the montessori school philosophy was that it was very student directed so while i created the the lessons and the and the workshops and the activities it was a very loose structure in that students could choose what they wanted to work on when they came into the classroom so i would have math activities and Uh, language arts activities and social studies and I'd have like subject area stations around the room but the students were the ones who decided oh I want to work on math right now I'm going to go work at the math station whereas other students would say well I want to write I'm going to go to the language arts station and so they guided their learning and I was the I was the guide I was there if they had questions and they needed needed uh, to be taught a certain skill or they would come to me if they needed help, which was much much more interesting for the students. Th- they felt more in control, there was more autonomy there. There of course, there was still accountability because they had to have certain things done by certain times, but they had options. they had choices. And so rather than saying, okay, it's nine o'clock we're going to, everybody's doing math right now um get out your math books well if there's a student in the classroom who's just like ugh math i don't like, i don't want to do that right now i'm not focused on that right now i'm thinking about something else then they didn't have to they could go do something maybe a little more creative maybe it was an art project that they were working on they could choose that to start their day off and then gradually get to the other stations it was just it was fascinating it and it was very again very student directed and very Very keen on what is the student interested in, as opposed to this is what we're learning, and you're going to learn it. (laughs) I love that. I
1: really do. Was it successful?
0: Yes. Uh, We had the Montessori school, the the one that I worked at. We went from kindergarten to uh, grade nine, Mm -hmm. which would be grade nine equivalent here, and then had students move on to because Boracay Island was a quite a touristy island. There were a lot of expats living there who had built businesses, who were married to uh, Filipinos and Filipinas and who had children. And so those children, when they left, some of the, those children, when they left our school, was, they went back to the States or they went back to Canada or they went somewhere else, um, back to Switzerland for high school education. And we had... Uh, many parents write to us or tell us, you know, they're doing great, and we were we were wondering if they would be up to par when they went back to our our home country. We were concerned that you know maybe they wouldn't be at the same level as the students that are there, and but they said they're doing fine and they're doing really well. So thank you. So that was that was a really great validation on our part because we weren't really sure what it would be like, although we were following. Um, a curriculum, like a an evidence-based curriculum uh, in terms of outcomes, there was still that, you know, how are we doing, right? Of course. Um, so, yeah, it was really great to have somebody, like, people come back and say, our kids are thriving and they're doing really well in school in other countries.
1: Well, to me, that in and of itself is an innovation.
0: Yes, absolutely. Montessori has been around for a very long time, um, and there are schools all over the world that follow the Montessori philosophy.
1: So how long were you in the Philippines?
0: In the Philippines, I was there for six and a half years. Yeah. And four of those years, I worked at the Montessori school. I was a classroom teacher for two years, and then I became a teaching principal of the school.
1: During your time in the Philippines, you also started a business, did you not?
0: Yes. So the Montessori school ended up closing, because the International School of Manila was going to be moving into the island um, and the owner of our school thought if they move in they have a bigger budget parents are going to pull their students out of their kids out of here so you know let's work with them as opposed to against them and so the International School of Manila opened on our property and the Montessori school closed of course, I thought, all right, now what? I was offered the opportunity to work at the new school, but I thought, I don't know if I can do that. The Montessori philosophy is pretty ingrained in me. I don't know that I can go back to kind of that traditional model right now. Mm-hmm. So and I decided to become a scuba diving instructor. <laughs> <laughs> well, sure. Why not, right? <laughs> Makes yeah. sense to me. Uh, the The person I was seeing at the time was a, a dive master at a at a dive shop. Um, on the island. And so he he was working there and I had worked with him and helped him study for his dive master course. And um, so I thought, why not? Well, I'll just become a dive instructor. I worked at that for about a year, but I ended up, I did end up going back to Korea and worked uh, for seven months as a, on a contract teaching English. I wanted to earn some extra money um, because we were Looking, my partner and I were looking to um, build a business. Um, after I came back, we were getting married, and we wanted um, we wanted something to I wanted something to build and to grow that was a little more sustainable. So we opened a Japanese and seafood restaurant.
1: Okay, now where is this? This is still in the this Philippines. Is still
0: in Boracay Island. Yes. Yeah. So I stayed on the island, uh-huh. became the PADI scuba diving instructor, went back to Korea and earned some extra money because the money was. Great in Korea. Um, I definitely took a pay cut when I moved to the Philippines, but the lifestyle was amazing. Mm-hmm. Definitely a good balance there. So when I when after we got married, we opened a Japanese and seafood restaurant and uh, learned from cookbooks. And <laughs> we had uh, friends on the island who were Japanese, and we're working at dive shops as well, and they were helping us. Uh, kind of guide the t- the flavors and the tastes. If we didn't get the rice cr- quite right, they'd say, here, try this. Um, you know, so we had a lot of support for learning how to do it. We loved food, both of us, and we both were very good cooks. Uh, and so we just, we, we winged it <laughs> for the first little while, but uh, grew it into a business. We had business partners, and we grew it into um, nationally recognized, into magazines in the Philippines uh, we had people coming from all over the place we had regular customers like we it was great it was delicious it was we had great customer service and we had we had people that would come and sit for hours and just keep ordering <laughs> which was wonderful so yeah it was really a lot of fun it unfortunately uh, the business partnership didn't work out, and uh, we ended up selling our shares to them, um, and I moved home to Canada. Okay. I <laughs> want to unpack a little bit of that. Look, before there's a lot to unpack here, <laughs> Wade. <laughs> <laughs> My
1: goodness. Um, you know what? Let, let's start with the entrepreneurial part of this, because sure. you started a Japanese restaurant in the Philippines, not knowing much about Japanese food, obviously from the story you're telling. right? That sounds like... Okay, I'm looking at pain points. Where is there a need? Well, there's no Japanese food, so let's figure this one out. Is well, that kind of the approach you
0: took? More or less. I, we, because we both loved to cook, we both loved food. We threw dinner parties for our friends um, often. I, I felt like a restaurant was something that we could do and do well. And while it took a little convincing for me, I might to convince my partner. We both went into it again, looked at business partnership and, um, and thought, well, what what is the need? So the need was, we both love Japanese food. We both love sushi, sashimi, we had fresh seafood. and there were places that in Manila that we could order from in terms of supplies for Japanese for making Japanese food. So we, we thought, well, if nobody else is here making Japanese food, why not try it and see what happens?
1: There is a certain kind of bravery in what you do. I think that entrepreneurs by nature, you can second guess yourself all you want, but there's, there's a, a fearlessness. Really, bravery doesn't mean you're fearless. It means you're going to do it even if you are having exactly. those fears. And so I think entrepreneurs have that. And it seems like right from the start, you had that as well.
0: Yes. And I believe that sometimes like you said, being fearful doesn't mean that you can't do it. Mm-hmm. In fact, it it probably means that you care about it and you want it to work. And so you're going to try your best to make it work. So using the fear as opposed to letting it stop you, using it to drive you a little bit, um, you know, there's a difference between excitement and nervousness or excitement and And fear, but they kind of come from the same realm. There's Mm -hmm. there's a little bit of the same physiological body feelings that come with excitement and fears, excitement and nervousness. And with this, it was, look, we're going to fly by the seat of our pants here, but it's something that we believe we can do. Mm -hmm. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to mess up. We're going to have people go, like, maybe not be happy with us. But that's going to help us learn how to do it better. So if you going into it with that mindset, and sometimes the fact that you don't know what you don't know, that kind of ignorance is bliss <laughs> that's that's a good thing too when starting something new. Um, you know, you don't have to have all of the answers to start because if you wait to have all of the answers, you're never going to start, you get stuck and you stop and you just don't do it. So where you go. So do it. <laughs> what what do other it.
1: entrepreneurial lessons did you get from running a business in the Philippines that was a Japanese restaurant? There, there have to be bunches of them.
0: Well, I think location was interesting because we lived on an island that the mainland you had to get to by boat. Um, the, we had to have our supplies shipped in from Manila. So if we wanted uh, salmon, if we wanted tuna, like sushi grade tuna and and salmon we needed to order from from Manila. So getting organizing that and getting it from the city to the island and picking it up on time and making sure that you you're storing it properly, like those pieces were a big learning curve, that procurement piece of of supplies. Also how you treat people, how you manage the people who are working for you and with you, in terms of the other people we had in the kitchen with us, uh, the the waiters and waitresses, the customers who come in, what they're what they're looking for, and I believe probably one of the biggest lessons was know who you're getting into business with. We we loved our business partners; they were great. Um, we thought that it was going to be a good relationship just based on our prior experience with them and our relationship with them beforehand. However, it was, I think, and I, when I look back and reflect on it now, it was, it was something that could have been avoided had some of that we don't know what we don't know had been fleshed out a little bit more, uh, if there'd been a little more vision involved in setting it up. Like I said, we, we kind of flew by the seat of our pants when we, so we said, let's build it, let's get the supplies, let's make it, let's do it as opposed to okay so what is the partnership agreement what happens if so kind of giving kind of looking at taking the possibilities of what could happen kind of the positive consequences but also the negative consequences of getting into business with somebody else it's a very different experience when you're partnering with other people and as opposed to doing it yourself so i in hindsight if i could go back and redo it I would be much clearer on, okay, what does this business mean? What is it about? Where do we want it to go? And what is each of our roles in that? Because there were four of us. Mm -hmm. What are each of our roles in that? And what are we each responsible for? What happens if we have an argument? What happens if we don't see eye to eye on the, the direction that the restaurant's going in? What happens if in this case you don't want to work in the business anymore and you go start your own business mm-hmm. somewhere else we hadn't talked about any of that and what that would look like so that's kind of where it fell apart was we didn't have understandings prior understandings before getting into business with one another we were thinking let's get the money let's build it let's make it let's do it yay and that and that was a that was probably the biggest mistake even though we were successful and people loved it it still wasn't sustainable because we didn't have the plan
1: right that's and a valuable lesson
0: it was it was huge it was huge and i was heartbroken when we sold our shares to them i felt it was my baby it was it was something that i had wanted to to start and build but knew i needed people to invest in it and to make it work It just came down to the fact that I thought, well, I could continue working here. I could continue doing this, but am I happy doing it? Do I feel resentful in being here when I'm supposed to feel joy and I'm supposed to feel like I'm doing something important and valuable? And I wasn't feeling that way. So I said, all right, it's time to make a decision. We had offered to buy the shares from them and just have it be our restaurant. And they refused. They said, we'll never sell it to you. I said, "All right, then, decision made."
1: <laughs> and again, that in and of itself is a very brave decision to make. Yeah, scary.
0: It was. It was heartbreaking. Look, I. There is grief in loss of a business. Oh, yeah. There, there really is, and it lasts. It's something that you need to work through, um, because letting go of something that you worked so hard to make successful and saw how happy you made people when they came in. Um, that was joy. That was fantastic. Yes, we made money, but it was really just that sense of purpose and serving that really drove me in, in the business. Um, and when that kind of went away, when resentment kind of moved in and I wasn't able to manage that, yeah, there's, it was, it was heartbreaking. It was like something died Mm -hmm. really.
1: All right. So you sold the business. Yes. You're heading back to Canada. Yes. Are you ending up here?
0: I am moving back home. I'm from, I'm from uh, Port Maitland originally, mm-hmm. and so I moved back to my hometown and came back on my own. My, my husband, he, we're not married anymore, but my former husband was still in the Philippines, and I moved home and thought, okay, what am I going to do um, my, my sister had gotten married the summer before I moved home, and so we had both come for that, and we're home for about six weeks, and I thought, it, this is the first time I don't feel like going back, and so there's a, there's a sign there, it's time, it's time to move home. Mm-hmm. I'd been gone for eight years at that point, so, you know, from going one year, anybody can do something for one year, to eight years, <laughs> so... I So moving back home, I thought, okay, what am I going to do? Um, there was a building in our village that uh, my mother owned, and she wasn't doing anything with. And so I said, can I start a cafe? And she said, sure. <laughs> so, so we renovated it and built a little apartment upstairs and a cafe in the, in the bottom of it, and I started a cafe, me, myself, and I. Um, just a, a small sandwich coffee couple of specials cafe where people from the village and you know tourists could come in and we were only minutes from the beach so you could i could see the beach from right. the ocean from from the building so i became a, a cafe solopreneur <laughs> i did dishes i i cooked i cleaned i bussed i did the books i did it all <laughs> for the, a year
1: okay for a year for a year you yeah. can do anything for a year. You can do
0: anything for a year. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so again, it, it's it's all about that entrepreneurial spirit though. That's yeah. that's where you led towards immediately. Yes. How did that feel in terms of the difference between doing one and doing the other? How hard was it to reestablish yourself as an entrepreneur? Is it is it hard to do here, even as even with the experience that you had in the Philippines?
0: In this case, it was a little easier, I believe. Only, I mean, there were more regulations. There was more paperwork and things to do here uh, than, I mean, there was still paperwork and regulations in the Philippines. um, But I didn't have to deal with that as much because it was, you know, Filipino owned. um, And so they were the ones who dealt with and did all the paperwork here. I kind of had to do all of that on my own. Uh, I had to go for the food handling course. I had to get, you know, the business registered. Like I, I did all of that. But it comes back to location, and and is this something that is needed in this area? And it was, it was a, a great spot, particularly in the summertime for people going to the beach. Uh, we had, I had ice cream as well, but I didn't feel like it was any less than in doing it. But I, there was some relief in doing it by myself. I I didn't have that pressure, that worry about what is what is somebody else thinking or what is some like having to have those conversations with partners, for example, to decide, okay, what what are we going to do this week? What is our menu? What are we, you know, do we want to shift? How are we advertising? All of that was left up to me, which as a self proclaimed overachiever and uh, do it aller, I've been working on that because yeah. Um <laughs> We all do. We yeah. Um <laughs> Work in progress, but definitely better. Um, There was something special about doing it that way too and getting validation from people coming in and loving it Mm -hmm. also. Having something local, being part of my community that I hadn't been part of for uh, a long time and giving, like, I felt like I was giving back to the community. It was like a service that was being offered, offered there that they hadn't had in quite a long time. There was another restaurant in, in the village, but it was kind of off and on. It would be open and then it would close and it would open and it would close. So this was something that I just it gave me something to work toward and have a purpose. But it also again provided that give back feeling to the community and to, you know, people coming and visiting the beach and and the area. So
1: Now, I, I'm going to bring this up at this point because I, I'm just really curious. You've, you've had a, a, a pretty big business with partners mm-hmm. in the uh, Philippines. Now you're doing something small here. Mm-hmm. Being a woman in business,
0: mm-hmm.
1: are there factors that you're dealing with because you're a woman?
0: In Canada or in the Philippines? In both spots, in actually. Both. In the Philippines, it wasn't as much about being a woman, I believe, as it was being Canadian. Being a white Canadian, Mm -hmm. um, because I was a a foreigner there, there were certain assumptions that were made because I was white, that I had a lot of money for one of one of them being that that, you know, I was rich, I had a lot of money. And to be fair, in many cases, or in some cases, I did have a lot of money compared to um, some of the living and the economic conditions of the, the area. And the Philippines in general, it, it is a third world country, and so, you know, there is a lot of poverty. The other part of being there and doing business was that I didn't have control over any of the regulations or the paperwork or signing of anything because I, I wasn't a resident. I was there um, and kind of piggybacking off of the, the Filipinos who were involved in, in the business, in the restaurant. And so, yeah, I didn't really have as much control there because of that. When I moved here and was able to open my business here on my own, I didn't, I never really had a sense of being treated or any differently because I was a woman. I've always had a certain way about me, a certain attitude about me that if I felt like I was being condescended or I was being questioned on you know, my intelligence or whatever, because of my gender, I was very quick to say, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. You're not going to
1: stand for that. No, no. Yeah.
0: I, I feel like I, in some cases, I could be very defensive off the bat if I felt like there was a possibility of that happening. So even when someone walked in who was a salesperson or, or a salesman um, who was looking to sell me something, I had this little wall that would go up, this little defense that would be like, yeah, no, don't want that. That's fine. Thank you very much for your time. Goodbye. Um, because I didn't, I didn't give them the opportunity to condescend or treat me as though I weren't.
1: Yeah, somehow less than.
0: It, yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm trying to be diplomatic here um <laughs> but yeah i so and i for a long time i've i have felt that way as as a woman um i've always been involved in sports or i've always been outdoorsy i you know i i am competitive with myself and so you know i, I i'm an avid golfer i'm more concerned about my own score than if I beat anybody else it's do I do I get better I think I've always had that kind of competitive drive within myself to push myself to be better and do better and and not give people the opportunity to think any differently of me because I'm a woman okay so
1: (laughs) you were in Port Maitland doing the the cafe thing for about a year or so what happened next
0: well, I the cafe was actually open uh, from 2005 until the fall of 2008. Oh, so wow. I, I did keep it open. What, what ended up happening was um, my former husband moved to Canada. And so he helped me out for a while in the cafe. And then I ended up hiring a couple of employees, one woman to help cook and one to help uh, serve. And so I was then able to get away, um, take some time leaving them there. I trusted them. They were, they were fantastic women. And I ended up getting, I had my grade three teacher who kept coming into the cafe and she kept saying, okay, Michelle, are you applying for teaching jobs? All right. Why don't you get back into the education system? Go for interviews, at least go for interviews, get the, the interview experience. And so in 2006, I said, all right, I'll apply and see what happens. I have a business. I don't know what, like I may, I probably won't get an interview. I haven't been here for eight years. I'm a business owner. I ended up getting four interviews. One of which uh, the principal of the school called me about 30 minutes after I got back home to say, we'd love to offer you the job. And then I said, (laughs) okay then, well, I wasn't expecting this. Can I think about it? (laughs) I have a, you know, I own a business and I don't, like, can I I have 24 hours and I'll get back to you? Now what am I going to do? Right. (laughs) God, you know, sometimes too many options are, it's not a good thing either. Um, But what I ended up doing was I, he said, sure. He was thankfully very patient and very um, understanding. I hung up the phone and I immediately called my best friend that I'd been in Korea with and in the Philippines with and said, okay, this is the situation. And she said, well, you have to take it. You're going to kick yourself if you don't. So then I started thinking, OK, how can I do this? How can I run the business and go work full time in a school? I called him back. I wasn't even 24 hours. I worked it out. I said, OK, I'm, I'm in. I'll make it work one way or another. So I hadn't actually determined everything um, of how I was going to make it work or what that was going to look like for me in terms of running the business and being a full-time teacher because we know that education is a very, very busy place. But I called him back probably an hour later and I said, okay, I'm in. And then I started thinking, all right, how can this work? I talked with my employees and asked them, you know, do you want more hours? This is what's going on. Um, I'd rather, I'd really like to keep it open as opposed to closing it. And they were on board. So um, I had two full-time employees and more or less. I, I worked on weekends, but uh, two full-time employees who helped me run and manage the business for a year, two years actually, and I worked the summer. You know, that first year being a full-time teacher in a, in a new school, in a new um, subject area, I was teaching French immersion, so getting my French back up to par, <laughs> was, but it was it was good. And it was busy, it was really busy. There wasn't a lot of extra time for me, uh, which was fine at that time because you can do anything for a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, so I did, and uh, that was, that was uh, a great learning experience. I look back on it now and I think, how in the world did I possibly do that? Like, what was I thinking? But again, when you're in a situation You make it work you do what you need to do in order for it to to move forward and that's what i did after that first year i we decided that i we would be open seasonally as opposed to all year round Um, so i closed for the winter i stayed open in the fall i think until october november when it got a bit slower and then closed for the winter and then opened again in the spring um, I did that for a couple of years, and then in this fall of 2008, I decided something's got to give here. I'm I'm one human being. Um, my my employees are fantastic, and they're doing a great job. Um, but to have my focus pulled in so many directions was was hard. It was hard, and it was taking its toll.
1: Were you enjoying your time? You must have been enjoying your time in the education system. Yes. What were you doing at that time?
0: I had grade nine, French immersion, uh, social studies. I then went in to do family studies, foods, and nutrition, back into food and helping helping students learn how to cook and do dishes and fill a dishwasher, uh, which was great budget for, for themselves in terms of, you know, meal planning. And so that was a lot of fun. I then worked as a resource teacher, so academic, an academic resource teacher, and then finally within that school I became a behavior intervention resource teacher. So I was working with students who had more challenging times with managing their emotions and uh, being in school and and regulating themselves, their behavior um, around sitting in a classroom and being asked to do work, but also helping them with academics. So I had said for the entirety of my school career here in Nova Scotia when I got first got the job in 2006 that there was something missing in what I was doing, you know, standing in front of a classroom and teaching curriculum outcomes. I just, I got to a point where I thought, is this it? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? I, I think there's got to be more. What about the students who are sitting in the Classroom who don't have friends who are worried about what it's going to be like when they go home tonight. Is there going to be food on the table? Is, uh, you know, who's going to be there? What's, you know, who's going to be arguing or, and just kind of navigating being a teenager. I said we're we're missing the boat here on helping them be human beings. I'm not feeling fulfilled just teaching them how to get good grades. That didn't mean a whole lot to me um, as an educator. I wanted them to be good human beings. I wanted them to be successful, of course. And I taught them to the best of my ability to to have better grades, good grades. But I knew that wasn't the be-all, end-all, that ultimately life outcomes, um, yes, are going to be partially determined by their education that they get, but at the same time, who they are and how they show up as human beings, if they're able to problem solve, if they're able to make good decisions, if they're, they have good relationships with people, or they're happy, um, and they're doing something that they enjoy, those are more important, ultimately, than if they got an A on an essay in grade nine um, that they wrote for me. And so I really started down that whole. I started sounding like a broken record. What about their human skills? What about their, you know, who they are? What, how are we supporting uh, their feelings? And I didn't have the language for it at that time, but really what I was, I have been focused on for a long, long time is social emotional learning skills and emotional intelligence, you know, of self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship management and decision making. And those were all, all skills that as a behavior intervention resource teacher, I was working toward and helping them, you know, be more aware of their emotions. And how do you manage those emotions? You know, how, what does that feel like Uh, setting goals? You know, what do you want from life? What are you interested in? And, you know, helping them off obviously too with their schoolwork, but how can we help you manage yourself so that you can have more meaningful relationships and connections with the others around you. And that led to me applying for a job at the Regional Centre for Education for a social-emotional learning coach position. And thankfully, gratefully, I, I got that position and moved into working with teachers and students and schools around implementing a social-emotional learning program that would help students develop those specific skills.
1: Were you coming up with that program yourself? No,
0: this was a, this is a program that was uh, developed and designed by uh, psychologists in the United States. Okay. The one that we used in our school district, at Mm -hmm. least, Um, there are several out there, but um, this was, this was one of the best, one of the top programs, evidence-based, researched for years and years. Um, and so we started doing training and professional development around how do you implement this in your classroom. And uh, yeah, it was right up my alley. <laughs> because I got to focus on what I was driven by and passionate about. Um, at the same time, knowing that when you're available to learn, when your brain is on and ready, because you can manage those strong emotions, or you feel like you're you belong, or you're part of the classroom that you're in, uh, that you're understood by others, or that you can understand others, then the only thing that's going to happen is your grades are going to go up. You're going to learn more. You're going to you're going to do better in school. Too often, it's just looked at as this student doesn't know how to or doesn't have the skills mm-hmm. or isn't at that level. But oftentimes it has to do with what are they experiencing life? What are they going through? What have they already been through? And are they able to manage themselves well enough to be able to focus on you, the teacher or whomever they're in front of and learn what you're asking them to learn? And that's a that's a huge part of being successful in school is am i able to not that i'm not smart enough but am i able to focus am i able to let some of these things go or manage those big emotions that i have because i'm hungry or because i'm worried about what happened last night or you know, if they've experienced other forms of trauma, that plays a huge role in, in how they show up in classrooms and if and how they're able to learn.
1: How long did you do this?
0: I did that role for five years. And so 2000, March 2021, I chose to resign from the position so that I could go full-time in my coaching business.
1: So at what point did 3D Life enter into this? You're, you're teaching kids. A lot of what I'm hearing you say to adults as well. So there definitely is a line from where you were to what you are now. At what point did 3D Life kind of enter into this or, or your idea that you were going to do that part of it?
0: Right. So I, had, I knew that I had wanted to be a coach, um, a life coach or leadership coach for a number of years. But I wasn't really sure when the timing was going to be right or how to go about doing it, what was the best path for me to do that. While I was in the social-emotional learning coach position, I had the opportunity to become a member or a a student at Saint evex University because they were offering a master's of education in leadership and mental health education. So I did that degree with the intention that this was going to support the work that I was doing in social-emotional learning, but also it, it met an, a personal growth need and a, a professional growth need for myself as well. When I finished that degree, which was amazing, um, I thought, okay, I think now I'm ready to look into being certified as a coach, like an external, not within the education system coach. And I became so I became certified with the Certified Coaches Federation Uh, I did three levels of coaching, learning with them, growth with them to become a certified master coach practitioner. And I thought at some point, this is going to be my full time. Because as I was working in schools and with adults and children, I realized more and more I kind of changed my broken record. My broken record while I was in schools working as classroom teacher was what about the human in them? What about the skills that they need, the relationships and whatnot that they they need to learn as well, not just the academics. And I shifted my broken record because I was working doing that work to what about the adults? And what about, you know, what I came to realize as I did the work within the school system as a social emotional learning coach, that adults don't have it all together, no matter what age they are. Um, And I think to have that expectation that just because you're a certain age means that you have all of the skills and you know all of the answers and, you know, life is fine and peachy that adults don't have experiences that bother them or that they bring to work or that impacts how they perform I think is ludicrous <laughs> for lack of a better word might be a little strong right now but I think it's very it's not a very compassionate view of the human experience when we think that just because you're an adult you must have everything together and that's just not the case. So. I was looking at, and we were looking at as the team, what what can we do for the adults to help support them in implementing these skills, um, and this program with the students? Because in some cases, we were asking people who were very uncomfortable to talk about their own emotions, or to you know talk about grief, talk about sadness, talk about um, nervousness for example, with the students to help them learn what those things were and manage their own emotions and be okay with doing those things because they weren't comfortable. We're all programmed and conditioned um, as we are raised and grow up and have different life experiences to comport ourselves in a certain way, to show up in a certain way, and that can change depending on who you're with. If you feel safe, you're probably going to be a whole lot more of who you are as opposed to if you feel uncomfortable or intimidated or unsure of the people around you or what you're being asked to do. That's going to change how you perform. And so when I decided to resign, I resigned with the intention of how can I support and guide adults in being leaders of their own lives and their own emotions and their own selves so that they can show up and be better for themselves and for others, which ultimately then is, bleeds into and, and goes into who they're working with and for. Um, in the in, If we're using the education system um, example, then it would be, okay, if we can work with teachers and admi- administrators, principals, to show up better for themselves, it improves their health, it improves their outlook on life, it improves... Their confidence and their their comfort with themselves being who they are, effectively leading themselves then helps the students learn more, learn better, learn these different skills because they're able to model them.
1: Mm-hmm. It also makes them better people.
0: It makes them better, yes.
1: Just generally. Yes.
0: Which then ripples out into the whole school community and then into the community itself. itself. So, you know, I... I talk a lot about the ripple effect that doing this work. And so within 3D Life, we really focus on self-leadership coaching, how you lead you, how you see you, what your attitude and mindset and beliefs and core values are really determine how well you experience your own life, but then also how you show up for others and, and influence and impact them. So with entrepreneurs, it's a similar ripple effect. You know, whether you're a solopreneur or whether you are, um, you know, part of a big company, how you are leading that company or that business all comes and is foundational to how you're leading yourself and what you believe or don't believe or what you think. um, You know, we can we all get in our own way sometimes. And but if you're getting in your own way more often than not, then that's impacting how successful your business is. It impacts your workplace culture if you're in a in a larger setting, because leadership is so important to setting the tone for a business or a company overall. So yeah, I could talk about it for hours, <laughs> Wade. <laughs> I
1: I love I love the name. Uh, you're a resident here at Ignite, so I see you a lot. But 3D Life is a very cool name anyway. It just, it trademarks well. It looks really good. As an entrepreneur, I look at that and I think, wow, you know branding. But it's so much more than that because what you are doing literally is you're creating other dimensions. You're trying to make people be more complete. You're trying to build somebody from within so that they can do something from without.
0: Right, that's a
1: big job.
0: It's huge. The challenge to it is that the person has to be ready Mm -hmm. and they have to be willing to, to look at themselves and to look inward and to, to decide if is doing the work for me on me worth the success that I want in my life and in my work or in my business. And it's a scary thing. It's not, it's not an easy thing to do to say, Okay, I'm going to open myself up a little bit and see what I really do believe and what I really do think and why I think that way or why this situation makes me run every time. And the difference between coaching and therapy, just to be clear because I'm not a therapist. I I do not delve into, you know, where all of your life experiences and why they happened and how they've impacted you. Coaching is really about where are you at right now? yes, let's define, let's identify some of those things that may be getting in your way, but we don't we don't dig into those. That's a job of a therapist. And to be perfectly frank, if I feel that maybe you could benefit from working with a therapist or talking to somebody professionally qualified within that line of work, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll say, look, I don't know if you've considered this or not, but um, I think this is something deeper that maybe if you're willing and able to dig into it with somebody else who's more qualified um, or qualified in that area. As a coach, what I do is where are you at right now and where do you want to go? And really it stems from that big vision, that big picture vision of um, what you want in your life, what you dream of, um, and really getting very clear on that. Because once you're really clear on that, it's much, much easier to decide... How do we tackle that? How do we start? How? What actions do we need to take in order to get there? And once you start breaking it down and chunking it and making it doable, then that big picture becomes more realistic and more inspiring and more uplifting than looking at it all and saying, oh my gosh, that's overwhelming, it's huge, how am I ever going to do that? That's what a coach helps you do is break it down and put it into doable action steps. With what I do, because it's so focused on self leadership through 3D Life Inc., it's very individual. I have a framework. I have a st- kind of a semi-structure uh, program that I offer called "It Starts with You," but it's very specific to the individual's experience as well. And so I'm not going. To, we're not going to go into work doing the work together, and me saying, "Okay, you're going to do this, 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 and your life is going to be transformed." It's. I have this site. I have this here that we're going to work on, and we're going to see how that, what that looks like for you, what that sounds like for you, and then we're going to go from there. Sometimes the three-step process of if you do this, and then you do this, and then you do that, you're poof successful, doesn't address the individual themselves. It addresses action. It addresses, you know, this is how you do it, but. Again, we can get in our own way and we get in our own way not because we don't know how to do something, because there's lots of information out there. There's tons of information out there. You can learn to do anything, pretty much. Going to YouTube, uh, <laughs> right? Like you can, you, the steps are out there. All of the information and knowledge you need are out there. But when it comes right down to it, whether you put those steps into action is dependent on who you are and how you feel about yourself. And whether you believe or not that you can do it. And we often so get caught up in being on autopilot and just going through the motions of our day. You know, you get up, you do the same routine, you go to work, you do the same routine there, you come home, you do the same routine, you go to sleep, you get up, you do the same thing. And too often we miss out on living. The joy of it. The joy, the life. um, And so I look at self-leadership from a business perspective and being able to lead yourself effectively to help impact the people that you're serving and that you're working with and that you're responsible for, and the client success and results that you want in your business or in your organization. But I also look at self-leadership as a form of being well. Um, Self-care is a huge buzzword. I kind of cringe a little bit when I hear self-care now because it's been so taken out of context of what it's supposed to be. It's not a bubble bath. Um, you know, fine, that's a treat. I you know you can I'm not Let's saying not get crazy. I'm not saying don't take bubble baths. <laughs> but but to to think that a bubble bath is going to change what your workplace culture, how you manage and what you experience in your workplace, or how you, Um, make a decision in your business that's going to make or break you for example to be extreme a bubble bath isn't going to do it and it really comes back to definitely the four areas of self care that I promote within 3D Life you know eating well movement uh, connections with others and sleep those that's what I consider to be self-care if you're looking after that but I can get all the sleep I want. I can eat all of the healthy food I want. I can exercise and be as fit as I want to be. I can uh, you know, have my connections on the weekend with people. But it still doesn't change what I might be experiencing at work mm-hmm. or in my business or how I move forward. So for me... From a 3D life perspective, I look at being able to lead yourself effectively in life and at work or in business or in your organization as well-being. You're promoting your own well-being when you start to learn more about yourself and experience that the human within you. That you're not just a robot getting up and going through the same motions because you think everybody expects you to. We look at identifying core values and beliefs, and a big part of it is starting out with that vision and, you know, what do you want for your life? Not just work, not just business, but overall, Mm -hmm. your well-being, your professional life finances, emotional, spiritual, and your physical. Plus, what do you want for your business and your workplace and or your organization? And when you start doing these things over here in terms of self-leadership, then we can start talking more about, okay, how do you be a visionary leader? How do you, are you transformative? Um, Are you delegating? Are you bringing people along with you when you're working together with them? And how are you human as a leader? We kind of, we have two models of leadership 3D Life Inc. And the first is in the 3D Life individual leadership model, which kind of looks at those life areas of personal, professional, financial, emotional, spiritual, and physical. And then the, the second model that we we lean on and we work with is um, the 3D Life collective leadership model. And that's the visionary transformative delegative, participative, and human leadership styles in that 3D life version of you. Okay.
1: You, in the fall of 2022, which is coming up, you're going to be doing a cohort right here yes. at Ignite.
0: Yes. I'm looking at doing a 10-week workshop style uh, in-person Online, you know, virtual. If people want to join virtually, we have the technology here at Ignite to do that, which is great. But we're we're getting to uh, we're bringing people together um, on Wednesday mornings for a couple of hours. I think 10 to 12, I believe, is the time we're looking at. That that's tentative. That could change. But just a couple of hours a week and really digging into uh, that self leadership piece, being in business as a business owner. Um, where can we look at in your vision? Because people, you know, most entrepreneurs have a business plan. And that business plan is great, because it plans out kind of the vision and the the strategies and the actions for the business, right? But most people don't include or put side by side the vision for themselves. What do they look like within that plan and within that business? What's their role? What do they want it to be? What, you know, how do they want to grow within it? And what are some things that they come up against as human beings in the business um, that get in the way of doing business or being more successful in their business? You know, we, we all have um, thoughts of uncertainty and we question ourselves. We have some self-doubt. You know, that's just being human. But do you allow those doubts to stop you or push you? Um, how do you challenge some of those thoughts and flip the script um, make like reframe them so that they work for you and not against you So we're going to be doing some of that but specifically related to uh, their business and their experiences in business and how their mindset um, can shift if required but you know maybe there are other things that they're coming up against that as a human being in the business um, that they need some some support with and some guidance.
1: Okay. So if somebody wants to sign up for this, how do they do it?
0: We're, we're ready. We're open for enrollment. I, I'm going to advertise on social media. I know that Ignite is going to be part of promoting it as well on the Ignite sites, too. So there will be a registration page, and I'm certainly able to ask questions and uh, find out more about it by contacting me directly if they so desire.
1: Excellent. Yeah. We've talked a lot And I feel we've barely scratched the surface. And uh, I'd, I'd really love to have a chance to talk to you again.
0: I would love that. That would be great.
1: Michelle, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it.
0: It was a pleasure. Thank you.
1: To find out more about 3D Life Inc. and the upcoming cohort, visit the website 3DLifeInc.com. You can also follow 3D Life Inc. and Michelle Hurlbert herself on LinkedIn. And to find out more about rural innovation and what Ignite does, check out IgniteAtlantic.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening to Ignite the Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you subscribed, shared us with a friend, and gave us a good review. And we'd love to hear from you. Our website, again, is IgniteAtlantic.com, and my email is Wade, W-A-D-E, at IgniteAtlantic.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk again soon.